just to kind of catch us up on where we've been the last four weeks. Um, the first week, this is a, our series called Storytime with Jesus that's ran us through the summer. In the first four weeks, we looked at things that we were called to show. Uh, we looked at showing uh, love. We looked at the Good Samaritan showing compassion. We looked at the unforgiving servant showing forgiveness. And then last week, we looked at showing generosity to other people. Today, we're going to kind of switch gears. And we're going to look for the next four weeks at things that we are called to do or that we have to do to get closer to Christ. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll read our scripture this morning. Heavenly Father, remove me from this place. May the words that are spoken be your words. May they fall on ears and hearts that are accepting and ready for you to work in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Today's scripture is found in Luke 18. Uh, we're going to go verses 9 through 14. It can be found on page 853 in your pew Bible, if you would like to follow along with us. Uh, Luke 18, I do invite you to stand if you can in honor of the reading of the gospel this morning. Uh, page 853. You're mighty welcome. Thank you. Alright, uh, picking up with verse 9. Jesus is talking here. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, but they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector... Standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this morning, Jesus is... He's put two very popular, very well-known people into our story. Uh, the first is a Pharisee, and, and I know I've oftentimes, in, in, in growing up, you see the Pharisee as kind of a negative person, as an evil person, somebody always stirring up trouble with Jesus. That's really not the case. You see, a, um, a Pharisee was someone who didn't just study the law. They didn't just try to be good. They memorized the law. And they did what they thought would get them closest to God. And that was to follow that law to the nth degree. They were good people. They were people you would leave your kids with if you had to go off. They were people that if you were standing on the beach and you wanted a good family photo, you would ask them, hey, will you take our picture? Because they're not going to run off with your stuff because they're good people. Okay, they're people that you could have trusted. They're people that you would have enjoyed being around. So when he gets to the temple, people expect him to be there. Matter of fact, they, they see him there and they even begin to feel a little bit inferior because they know how holy and how righteous this person lives their life. They were morally good people. But the great downfall in our, in our parable today is that they were confident in their ability to get to heaven. They were confident in themselves 
their righteous deeds, their own works, their own behavior to get us there. Jesus tells us how the Pharisee pray. He said, thank you God, I am not like other people. Essentially, thank you God, I'm not a sinner, I'm not a bad person, I'm not a thief, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not like this tax collector. We could put this into modern terms pretty easy. Pretty, pretty simple ways to look at this. He's thanking God that he is not like people lower than him. He continues to justify his holiness in how he prays. He says, I fast twice a week. The law said you had to fast once a year. This guy's telling everybody he fasts twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. That was his money. That was his crops. That was if he had ten sheep. He was giving one to the temple. All. If he had ten fruits bloom on a tree, he would take one and take it to the temple. A tenth of every single thing he owned. The Pharisees stood confident and he stood trusting in himself that his actions were good enough. Good enough to enter himself into heaven. I don't know if y'all have ever prayed the prayer, but I like to pray in the morning. I, God, I've been pretty good today. Matter of fact, I've been very good today. I've not sinned. Y'all know the rest of it? Help me now because I'm about to get out of bed. <laughs> Too many times as church people, we can get confident in ourselves. I can remember getting in the car a couple weeks ago and said, man, somebody gave me the sweetest compliment, said it was one of the best sermons. I couldn't believe how young and the sermon was great and they were so inspired. Man. And so I asked Stacey, I said, how many great sermons do you think were preached today? She replied, one less than you think. <laughs> she also replied, that lady was your mother. Preachers are bad about this, and so we're, we're, we can all be guilty of this. We get so wrapped up in the things that we're doing, and yet we're not like some of the people we see on the news. And we can fall into this complex of acting like a Pharisee. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. A proud man is always looking down on things, always looking down on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that's happening above you. I think that's pretty interesting the way you put it. So the second character that we have is a tax collector. Equally as recognized. Equally as well known. But extremely, extremely hated. The tax collector wasn't somebody that just took your money. The tax collector was a Jew that decided instead of practicing the Jewish faith, they would work for the enemy. They would work for the Roman government and they would make a deal with the local Roman government. I will pay you X amount. Whatever you have left over is yours to keep. So then if I was a tax collector, I would go into the homes of my neighbors, of my family, of the people I used to work with and live with, and I would take any amount of money I could get from them. I would rip them off so that I could pay the government and still line my pocket. When people in the, in the, in the streets saw tax collectors, they avoided them at all costs. They were not people you would want to be around. They were, they were people that leave their dogs in a hot car kind of people. Okay, that, I mean, they put it in kind of modern terms. They were people we just, why are you doing that? What is wrong with you? 
Anybody ever think that sometimes when you cut the news on? I don't even like cutting the news on anymore. But see, there's hope in our story. This tax collector shows up and the first thing that's going to happen is people are going to start avoiding him. And I know you couldn't see the video that I showed the kids this morning, uh, but as he's walking up, people like are dividing the stairs so that they don't have to be in his presence. The disciples even told Jesus, stay away from him so that his evil doesn't rub off on us. And Jesus does what Jesus always does. He walks up to a well-known tax collector and he says, Matthew, come follow me. And he leaves the money laying there on the table and he comes and he follows Jesus. So with that in mind, these, these Jewish men hearing this story know Jesus is about to flip it on them. And that's exactly what he does. He tells us how the tax collector prayed. This man that doesn't deserve to be in the temple prays very differently than the Pharisee. See, the Pharisee would have probably come and stood right in the middle, prayed out loud, throwing his arms up so that he could be seen, wanting everybody to hear and everybody to know that he is here, he is praying, he is holy. The tax collector would have probably snuck in our side door, crept down the side so nobody could see him, and fell on his face on his knees right over here on the side somewhere, away from the attention of what was going on. There's absolutely nothing to brag about. Jesus tells us he can't even lift his eyes to heaven. He is so ashamed. He is so convicted because he knows how wrong he has done God's people. He will not even raise his eyes to look at heaven. He then does something. Jesus tells us he begins beating his breast. You would not see Jewish men doing this. It was a sign of weakness. It was a sign of being lowly, not good enough. It was not something you saw Jewish men doing, especially not in the temple. But he knows that what he has done is so wrong. And he's laying there, he can't even look up, and he's beating his chest, and he prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, I am a sinner. Have you ever got to that point in your life? I know I have. You got to that point where you've tried the best you can. Man, you've taught Sunday school, you've volunteered, you've showed up for church, and life keeps happening to you. Bad things keep coming. You keep feeling not good enough. You keep doubting, when is my blessing going to come? And sometimes you just have to fall down on your knees, and almost sometimes, sometimes maybe even in tears, and say, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, for I know I have sinned. And sometimes that's the only way we ever find any peace with what's going on. I found this quote this week, and I think it's a very important lesson that we can learn. We must pray like a sinner if we want to live like a saint. We must pray like a sinner in front of God if we want to live our life like a saint. Jesus then tells us that, so you've got a morally rich, morally good, rich man, and then you've got this evil sinner. Jesus tells us the sinner left justified. That sounds really cool, but what does that even mean? John Wesley put it this way. Justification is what happens when Christians abandon all those vain attempts to justify themselves before God. To be seen as just in God's eyes through religious or moral practices. It's often been put this way. It's a time when God's justifying grace is what Wesley called it. 
Wesley believed in three types of grace. The, the grace that was shown to us at conversion, he called justifying grace. He says it is a time when God's justifying grace is experienced and accepted. A time of pardon and forgiveness. A new peace. A new joy. A new love. And a new life. Justification is also a time of repentance. Turning away from our behaviors rooted in sin and towards the actions that express God's love to other people. Justification doesn't mean, well, I'm free from my sin, so I'll continue sinning. There has to be some repentance and some turning away from your, your ways. In this book here called The United Methodist Belief, a brief introduction, William Willimon describes it this way. In justification, we are, through faith, forgiven our sins and restored to God's favor. This writing of the relationship by God through Christ calls forth our faith and trust as we experience regeneration by which we are made new creatures in Christ. So this tax collector goes home made new. He, he comes to the temple a broken, a hurting tax collector. He leaves a redeemed and a justified person in the eyes of God. How many of you have ever uh, heard, um, there's a little commercial, I guess, on his radio. And this guy's died and he's standing there and he's taking the test to get into heaven. And he says, well, tell us about yourself. And he said, well, I was a good man. I was a, I was a doctor. I saved people's lives. And they said, oh, that's worth two points. Well, I, I ran into a house and saved a, a cat when it was on fire. Oh, that's good. Uh, uh, that's another point. And this goes back and forth, back and forth. And he says, well, that's all. How many points do I have? And he says, seven. Well, how many points do I need? One hundred. He says, well, that's impossible. How does anybody get to heaven? And the response is, is pretty, pretty simple. They don't take the test. He said, well, how is that fair? I had to take the test. He said, they don't take the test. They let Jesus take it for them. See, that's where this tax collector is. This tax collector, he knows he's not good enough, but he's letting Jesus take the test for him. So what can we learn today from our parable? We cannot be people or a church that trust in ourselves. We cannot put our hope and our faith in the things that we're doing. And it's okay at points in our life to fall on our knees and say, God, have mercy on me. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of humility before our, our living and our resurrected God. Even the best Pharisee, the best church person, the, the saint of all saints, they're not good enough to get into heaven on their own. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. If we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled at our judgment. If we humble ourselves and exalt the name of Jesus, we will be justified and welcomed into eternal life. If we exalt ourselves, if we exalt ourselves as individuals or as a church, we will be humbled. God has humbled me. Sometimes He does it with a two-by-four. Sometimes it's, it's, it's more like a feather. But at some point in your life, you will be humbled because you exalt and you put your trust in yourself. But if you will humble yourself, if we will say as a church, we cannot do this without you. Jesus Christ is the only thing that will make this work. He is the only thing that will help us reach our goals. He is the only thing that can fix the brokenness, the pain, the suffering that we're going through. 
then when we get to our judgment, we will be exalted. We will be welcomed into, into heaven and there will be a celebration like none other. And I can't wait because Logan says they have trains in heaven. So we're going to ride the train when we get to heaven. It's on the moon too, but we'll work on that theology a little bit later. But we've got to humble ourselves so that we can be exalted. So the question I want to leave you with is will we pray, thank you God that we are not like other people? Or will we say, God have mercy on us for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter how good we try to be, the only thing that can justify us is the grace that Jesus provided. The only thing that will justify us in the eyes of God is the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our final hymn, the altar will be open for anybody that wants to come kneel and pray. There's nothing wrong with that. But what a better song to end with. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hymn 362.